Good morning, friends and members of the Westmont Shul. I'm giving a uh, sheer uh, I don't usually give. And it's in memory of what happened today, 82 years ago, on the eighth day of Cheshvon. And there's a reason I want to bring this up. Obviously, over the weekend, we're seeing again continuous demonstrations about freeing Palestine. We're seeing events of anti-Semitism at levels around the world that have not been seen in a while. And I want to put it in a proper perspective and not on Shabbos because a lot of people don't like when I talk about these things on Shabbos. Correct or incorrect doesn't matter. So it's not Shabbos and it's not a captive audience. And if you're, uh, you know, if it's too hard to listen, you don't have to hear anymore. But there's a number of you who want to hear these things. And we'll give us chizuk in terms of trying to understand what to do. On October 29th, 1941, which corresponds to the eighth day of Cheshvon, nearly 10,000 Lithuanian Jews were shot at what is called as Kaunas' Ninth Fort, which we understand that as Kovna. The massacre was dubbed as the Great Action was the largest mass murder of Jews in Lithuania. Now, the great action began the day before when Nazis conducted a selection of Jews in the Kaunas ghetto. The Jews were sorted into useful and useless, and around 9,200 useless Jews, half of them children, were then forced to walk to the Ninth Fort. Not only men of working age, but also women, children, and seniors were forced to walk. Those who could not walk were shot immediately. Most people knew what awaited them. People's lives did not cost anything. Anything could be done with them. Eyewitnesses recounted in their memoirs that the ghetto guards were shooting at people for no reason. The ghetto inhabitants realized that nobody could protect them and anyone could be a victim. The selected Jews walked some three kilometers from the Kaunas ghetto to the execution place at the Ninth Fort. Jews marched in columns of 400 people, eight in one row. And when the first columns were being shot at the Ninth Fort, others were still walking. Some Jews tried to run away but were shot immediately. Those who broke away from columns or accidentally stepped on a sidewalk were also killed right there. Jews who reached the Ninth Fort were shot in large pits dug in advance. Fourteen such pits were prepared for the great action. Other victims of the Nazi occupation also lay nearby. In total, about 50,000 bodies were buried in the Ninth Fort. It wasn't a human grave. The field of massacre turned into a mass grave. And the western side of the Ninth Fort became a victim's eternal resting place. On October 29, 1941, this day 82 years ago, shots were heard a few kilometers from the Ninth Fort. And how did the Kovna residents react to them? 
There were various reactions, including disgust and indifference, but the official position was first revealed in the press, which supported the killer's side. There was an article published on October 25th in the daily freedom propaganda framed Jews as people that were not part of the nation, enemies who needed to be treated accordingly. And although the great action was organized by the Nazi administration, but it was mostly carried out by a military unit formed from Lithuanians. According to the defendant, you know, testimonies, some murderers shot at victims for their own pleasure. They were taken over by a complete anti-Semitic fanaticism. Sad. Does it sound familiar? Today, Israel has to release videos from the Palestinians themselves, how much they were rejoicing, calling up their parents. They did such amazing work. This is barbarism of the greatest way possible. And the only reason more were not butchered three weeks ago was Chazdei Hashem. Chazdei Hashem. So what is the world's response? It's free the Palestinians. Stop the inhumane treatment of the Palestinians. A lot of anti-Semitic tropes which don't get put on the cameras. It's talking about the barbaric murder to stop it. And, and who's the one that's exactly supposed to stop it? And a ceasefire and all these things. More anti-Semitic talk, and it's all accepted and not really stopped. This is extremely um, troubling. Now, some people will say, listen, better not to watch it. I totally agree with it. But unfortunately, most people are watching it. So you have to understand how to look at this. And I'd make the following suggestion, and please understand the context of what I'm saying, and if you don't listen to the whole message, you're going to distort it. Let me start with something that doesn't seem to be at all connected to this topic. But you'll see in a minute why it is. There's a uh, tradition, so to speak, that rabbis are told that a month before Pesach, they should go through the entire Shulchan Aruch and learn all the halachas that have to do with Pesach, chametz, removing chametz, all the shilas that come on Pesach. And even though the rabbi is an experienced rabbi, he's dealt with shilas for many years, they say, you know, it's a good thing for the rabbi to go review the halachas. On a simple level, this so he'll remember and won't make any mistakes, can answer quickly. Well, there's a deeper mystical understanding. And the deeper mystical understanding is when, when the Torah comes down to the final manifestation in halacha, 
and it's our code of Jewish law. It's not just a bunch of laws, but it's really the essence of Hashem distilled into understanding reality in this world and how to be close to Hashem and how to live with Hashem. Even mundane halachas. And the halacha, so to speak, has a life to it because it all is the will of Hashem. If a certain situation happens, a person already koshered his dishes and is starting to make Pesach food and then they realized one of the products that they bought they thought had a kosher for Pesach, Heksher, but it didn't. It was the non-kosher Pesach. And he already made food with it and all these other things. And now what do I do with all the food and my dishes? All these questions. Now, there's halachas that talk about this. So certainly we hope that these things don't happen. You know, sometimes it's everything's okay. Sometimes you got to throw out some of the food. Sometimes... The, these are all situations, and generally, they're situations that we would prefer that they would not happen. But since it's it's halacha, halacha means it's it's not old stale laws that you blow off the the dust. They're vibrant living halachas. Everything's a living halacha. Getting up in the morning, saying moda ani lefanecha is a living halacha. It's meant to be lived. Someone dies and you say, it's meant to happen. The laws have to live. So they tell the rabbi, if you learn all of these intricate halachas of the disastrous scenarios, once you're learning them, they have been lived. And the distressing situation need not happen because the halacha has been lived. And if the rabbi doesn't want to get inundated with so many difficult halachas that may have to, may have to give them a, an answer that people don't want to hear, learn the halachas so the shyless will not have that. With that idea in mind, let us proceed and understand one of the people who died in this ghetto, in these forts, but he died a couple of weeks before, and that was the famous Rebbe Chonan Wasserman, Hashem Yenakam Domov. And when he and a number of rabbis and students of his yeshiva, prior to them being gunned to death at the seventh fort, Rebbe Chonan spoke to his students. And he spoke in the same calm and collected tone that he always did with no indication of panic. And he said, in heaven it seems that they consider us to be tzaddikim because we have been chosen to be korbanos, martyrs for Klal Yisrael. Therefore we must repent now. We don't have much time. We must keep in mind that we will be better korbanos if we repent. In this way, we will save the Yidden in America. Let no foreign thought enter our minds, Chas Vishom, as this will make us pigal, an unfit Korban. We are now fulfilling the greatest mitzvah. Yerushalayim was destroyed with fire and will be rebuilt with fire. 
The same fire that will consume our bodies will one day rebuild Kalal Yisrael. And indeed, the bodies of Rabbi Hanan Wasserin, most of his family, the yeshiva's rabbeim, and most of its students were consumed in the flames of the Holocaust. But a far greater fire had been ignited prior to the blaze of destruction because Rabbi Hanan, all the years he taught Torah, had kindled a fire in the hearts and souls of those who knew him a force that would ultimately rebuild the Torah world in the post-war era as we could never have imagined. So on that way, we have to understand as very soon Jewish boys are going to be sent to a place where unless Hashem does miracles as great as the splitting of the sea, they're going to be korbanos. They've been, there've been korbanos. And there's going to be korbanos. And the word, let the words of Rabbi Hanan resonate with us. And you're seeing such beautiful videos of soldiers who are speaking about Amun and Hashem. And just today another Korban fell. And there's going to be more Korbanos. And we should know that these Korbanos are for us. And we can't just act casually as they are just statistics, Chas Vishol. We must appreciate what they're doing, but we have to try to stop whatever way we can because Baruch Hashem, we're giving money and we're able to help in so many physical ways. But there's one other thing I'd like to suggest. And this is another incident that happened on that day the eighth day of Cheshvan, when all those people were Kurbanos. There's a rabbi named Rabbi Ephraim Fram Oshri, who is just 27 years old, when the local Lithuanians attacked his Jewish neighborhood of Slabotka and went from street to street, torturing and butchering every Jewish man, woman, and child they encountered. And that was on June 25th, 1941, which was the beginning of the end of Jewish Lithuania. And Rav Oshri was a great Talmud Chacham. And unfortunately, he had to answer many difficult shilas when in the Kovna ghetto. And without Svarim to go guide him, but what from memory. And after the war, he survived he did more research and compiled a five-volume work in Hebrew of the responses called Shelot Uchuvot Mima'amakim, Questions and Answers from the Depths, which was later translated into a one-volume work titled Responsa from the Holocaust. So I'd like to share with you one of the responsa 
that is in the second volume, the fourth response. And unfortunately, I don't have an English version of it, and I'm going to just summarize it. But the question that was asked, and the description of all the bitterness of the ghetto, and it was during, it was in specifically in response to this event that is going to happen, that they all know that there's going to be a selection tomorrow and they're going to take children and this is going to be a terrible, terrible situation over here. And the person who asks the Shila, an old Jew, and he says, he says, I know that many of us are going to die tomorrow. Those will be selected, most likely will die. And at this point, this Jew named Rabbi Yahu, who was from Varsha, who was one who was able to escape from the Varsha ghetto and came into this ghetto. And he got caught into all of this. And he asked Rav Oshri the following question. What is the blessing that we make before we will be killed and dying al Kiddush Hashem? Now there's a tremendous amount of scholarship involved in this question. I'll just bring you two points that Rav Oshri says. He brings, brings one source from the Sefer Yosef Omates. And he says it's it's a bracha that has a certain type of a vidui, and it's based on a vidui from a Rev Usher from the holy people of Frankfurt who had to sanctify their names. And I'll give you the English version. Blessed are you, God, King of the universe, who sanctified us with his mitzvahs and commanded us to love the honored and awesome name that was, is, and will always be in all our hearts and all our souls to sanctify his name publicly. Blessed are you, God, the one who would sanctify your name publicly. Then you say, Shema Yisrael, and then you give your life away. And then he quotes the Shalom HaKadosh, who gives a much shorter version. And this is the one I want us all to remember. Very simple. Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech Elam Asher Kiddushanu B'mitzvay Sav V'tzivanu Three words. Likadesh To sanctify Shemo His name Borabim Publicly. Likadesh Shemo Borabim and he goes through all different reasons behind it. You no, know, sometimes we say Al Kiddush Hashem, but not here. And the difference between Al and Le, very briefly, is, and we don't get a good scholar here, is that when you talk about directly Le Kadesh, when it's just preferably without Lamed, it's something that you have to do and you can't have a messenger do it for you. Certain mitzvahs. A messenger can do for you. This one you can't. You gotta do it yourself. Lekadesh Shemo Barabim. 
And this fellow Rebeliohu, he repeated it many times to get it straight. You can only imagine the trauma they were in. How could they remember anything? When I have to sit with a family and just make the bracha dayanho and mess at a, at a funeral, how I have to do it word by word with them because they're going through so much trauma. And this rebellion went it over to make sure I got it straight. Lekadesh shemo barabim. Lekadesh shemo barabim. And he went and told everybody in the crowd. And then afterwards, this fellow comes to Rav Oshri and he says that the Gon Rebbechonen Wasserman, who we just mentioned, he taught his son, Reb Naftali, that that's the bracha that should be made. And he said that in the name of the Chafetz Chaim. In how he had, and then Rav Oshri says that I heard from the grandson of the Chafetz Chaim when he was also in the ghetto, that he heard from the Chafetz Chaim during the sec- First World War, when there was all kinds of terrible people who were trying to, trying to also make the bracha, Lekadesh Shemo Barab. just want to add a point. You could ask a question. Well, how could you make the bracha? You can't make a bracha that you're not in control of so to speak. For example, you can't make the bracha giving tzedakah because what if the poor person refuses to take your tzedakah and you haven't done the mitzvah? So what if, you know, by some strange miracle, after you've been taken and they're marching you to the end, maybe you won't get killed. The odds are very rare, but maybe you won't. The answer is you were already Mekadesh, Hashem's name. Living in that reality. The bracha is not just a formality. Oh, this is what you do before you die. It's expressing your inner feelings and emotions at this most critical point in your life. To say this bracha with simcha. As I've said, simcha doesn't mean crazy joyfulness. It means knowing that you're doing the thing that Hashem has designated for you to do, to be his Corban, for reasons, as Rebbe Hanan said, we don't understand, but there's a time to be a proper Corban. There's a time to fight, and we don't start initially off as being Corbanos like our brave soldiers, and we try to avenge all the terrible things that are happening, bring peace to the world, and all those things that we don't just sit back and get it. But there does come the point where if you're not able to change that course and you know that death is imminent, make that bracha to express that closeness that you have to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That I've been privileged to give a mitzvah of sanctifying his name in public. This is not an easy halacha to learn. It's not an easy halacha to teach. It's not a halacha we want to know it. But Raboisai, part of life is to feel the conflict within ourselves. And let's learn the halacha. This is part of Hashem's Torah. Let's share this halacha with people. Why? So if we could share this halakha with tens of thousands of people, 
And Hashem, you won't have to make the halacha come true. This is in our hands. We're all one people. When we hear that somebody dies that we know, we ache with them. And we feel so helpless. Rabbi said, we're not so helpless. There's so many things we can do. Some things are harder, but this is easy. Mir Tzashem. That these protests in Toronto and around the world will just end with protests. No one is an angel. No one is a, a Navi to know. And I don't want to be an alarmist. But one thing we need to all do is learn Torah and learn Halacha. And yeah, it's nice to learn all kinds of theoretical Halachas. This is not a theoretical Halacha. This is real. It's going to be happening. It is happening. Soldiers are being saying the brachas. And when a, a soldier is, is, is hurt and, and it's a fatal, and he has a few moments, this is the bracha he'll say then, Shema Yisrael. So this is Torah. We know that learning Torah, although this is a short halacha, Everyone can know this halacha. Everyone should be tested on this halacha. I should be able to wake you up in the middle of the night and say, what's the bracha if you have to die al Kiddush Hashem? As we say in the Shema, the words of the Torah should be sharp. You know the answers right away. So you may ask, wait a minute, maybe we should make the bracha not just when you die. Don't we have to do a Kiddush Hashem all the time? The answer is, who knows? When we do behaviors, is it really a Kiddush Hashem or not? But the truth is, we can do a lot of Kiddush Hashem without dying. As we know the famous words, you don't have to die out Kiddush Hashem, you could live out Kiddush Hashem. You can go out of your way to show that Jews are the most amazing people. The response to all the demonstrations is not necessarily exclusively other demonstrations pro-Israel, which is fine for those people who, who can express their way of solidarity that way. But the real way is to be actively making Kiddush Hashem. Kiddush Hashem, when we park in the parking lot, not to double park, when we're in Sobeys, when we're different stores, to really be refined and like a mensch and say hello to people and try to help people out. It was interesting. This this morning, I, I'm coming back from doing carpool to start my, you know, to continue working in the shul at 9 o'clock. And I'm on the second floor. I th see three Muslim guys, big, tall, strong Muslim guys. I think other people would be terrified. And, you know, they speak, you know, with heavy accents and my hearing ain't so good so it ain't a good shidduch to communicate they all got cell phones and they're saying you know it first sounds like wah, 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 wah. i don't even know what they're saying i don't run not running away so finally it came out they want to where's western union i go what where is western union it sounds pretty funny now of course you know you could be a little suspicious you know maybe the little innocent question before they take the knife out <laughs> but i'm not thinking like that Finally, I get it. They show me on their cell phone. I look at this. I said, oh, where is the Western Union? 
that the, the convenience store below has a sign that says the Western Union, uh, whatever money telegram, tell you tele wire the money. But I was nice to them. I, I couldn't just, I don't know. I said, no, no, let me, oh, oh, oh. And, and, I, and I helped them. And now with second thought, I could have done better. I should have gone, let me show it to you and go there. I did, but I was caught by surprise. I want those three Muslims to know. I just was, I don't know. Oh, oh this is what it is. Yo, we got to be nice. We got to have, everyone has to see how amazing we are. Not just to non-Jews, but to everybody else. We have to be on high alert of Kiddush Hashem alert. And one other point. You know, my son uh, Moishi is an Eretz Yisrael. And a lot of, you know, in the Bachram, usually, um, you know, they're learning, they get up, they daven, they learn for the, after, you know, the whole morning, then they have lunch, and then afternoon they learn, and night they learn. So some boys take a nap for an hour, between two and three o'clock, just to regain their strength. So he told me, the Rosh Hashivas told them, if you can, don't take a nap. You know why? Because the soldiers, they don't get the luxury of taking a nap if they're tired. They're on call all the time. And in the yeshiva, the yeshiva boys are taught that they're on call, they're fighting, and it's, it's, a, it's a joint effort. And that's where our mishaberach initially that we make in the shul was meant for the, our children that are fighting or learning. Because that's the real war that has to be fought. And we have to understand the same way. We're all one group. We know every mitzvah we do creates a malach. A good malach. Every aver we do creates a bad malach. Rabbi say we're all on duty. We all want, we're not in charge of the politics. But one thing we want is less of our children to die, which will necessitate miracles from HaKadosh Baruch and the greatest miracle can happen if we really are on call. And everyone has to, for their own sake, know what they should be doing. But this is the simplest thing. Teach everybody what the bracha is. Asher kirishanu b'mitzvah lekadesh shemo barabim. You learn the halacha. It's clear to you the halacha. And more than that, but, but you're going to say to Hashem's not only if you think you're going to die, but if you have to do a mitzvah that's hard. And sometimes we have a Yetzirah that says, I'd rather die than do the mitzvah. I'd rather die than apologize to somebody. I'd rather die than have to get up too early in the morning to go with a minion. I'd rather die than put on senses. I'd rather die than spend extra money and waste money on kashros. I'd rather die than have to miss my favorite television show. I'd rather die than have to put on tefillin. I don't know how to put on tefillin. I don't know how to make up with people. I don't know how to control my anger. So why don't you try to do those things that hurt as much as death? And you'll think about the bracha, but not say the bracha. Every one of ourselves can kill ourselves in that way. And the changes that we have to do cannot be changes that don't kill us, that are hard. 
And for each and every one of us who quote-unquote dies Achil Hashem and Kiddush Hashem and makes the and learns the halacha, this is something positive we can do to make sure that less of our children and our brothers and sisters will have to actively make that bracha during this war. Thank you so much for listening. Share this message with others and let's do what we can.